It's exciting when you get to build a new house, isn't it? You don't immediately run out to Lowe's and buy materials and start building the house, but you, you make a plan. You have a drawing that you put together. And the drawing prefigures the house. The drawing is a, is a foreshadowing. It's a picture of what we'll build and it's a very um, less detailed picture. You don't get all the details, even with the elevation, even the view from the front. But when you're building a house, the first thing you do is you come up with a plan of the house that you want to build. And then everything that you do after that fits into that plan, is in accord with that plan, so that you end up with the end result of what you intended to build. Solid foundation. The, 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 The bones of the house and everything that go with it. So that you end up with exactly what you planned. But the plan prefigures the house to be built. The house will be much more grand and detailed. God is building a house. God is building His house. We are stones being built up as a spiritual house for the Lord, the Word says in Ephesians. And He is doing it all according to plan. That plan put together before the foundation of the world. It's put, put together in eternity past. It's a Trinitarian plan between Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father chooses the people, gives them to the Son. The Son agrees to mediate on their behalf to achieve their salvation and the Spirit to apply that salvation. They're equal in power and glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. But the economic Trinity has different functions within the covenant. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is doing everything according to plan. And it's a house made up of people from all nations redeemed by Christ and saved by the Spirit's application of the Gospel to the glory of God the Father. And God's Gospel or His plan was in the Old Testament in type and shadow and promise and prophecy of what would be fulfilled in Christ and be the reality of what was to come. But you see the Gospel in the Old Testament in the form of the promises and the prophecies and the sacrifices and circumcision, the Passover lamb, certainly. And in other types and ordinances, all to be fulfilled from that standpoint, to be fulfilled in the Christ or the Messiah who was to come. A type That's what I want to bring out. You've heard typology or a type, and we do have to be careful with that. Some people have very fanciful imaginations. But a type is a past event or person that prefigures or foreshadows or pictures a future person or event. A past event or person that prefigures or foreshadows or pictures a future person or or event. And in that sense, when it mentioned in verse 8, it just, it, it's almost, and I know his purpose is different, but uh, Stephen just barely mentions Isaac. But he does mention him. And Isaac is Abraham's son. The covenant goes through Isaac to Jacob and to the twelve and all the way down to Jesus who comes from that, that clan and through the tribe of Judah who fulfills the old covenant promises but the person the person or the type the picture for this sermon is Isaac 
whose name means he laughs or laughter. And we know originally that come from the fact that both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God said they would have a son. Why? Well, we'll see. They were old and worn out. The way of women was passed with her. There was no chance of these two old people having a child. And yet, they did. And many things about Isaac prefigure or picture Christ to come. Very clear. Everybody recognizes these things about Isaac. Nothing fanciful or, or new. But I thought it would be good just since we're doing communion just to take what's mentioned about Isaac and draw out what just a few of the ways. There are more than this. A few of the ways that he pictures Christ. So before communion, and since uh, Stephen does mention him, he is part of the flow of the plan of redemption. We'll look at four ways that he prefigures Jesus. Look at in verse 8 again. It's talking about Abraham. and He gave him the covenant of circumcision. The covenant, the administration of the covenant of grace coming through Abraham and through that covenant of circumcision, which will eventually be part of the Mosaic covenant and cause great controversy in the New Testament. But God is making covenant with Abraham and through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and the twelve with his people on down the line. But we talked about that some last week and I'll refer you back to the, to the sermon from last week. But he gave him the covenant of circumcision and look how nonchalantly this is mentioned. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And that's what God said to do. And that, that's what Abraham did. <clears throat> but it merely says he became, he became the father of Isaac. That encapsulates a lot of grief and a lot of struggle and some sin and a, a good bit of history. So, again, we'll just take a, a moment and, and lift, look at Isaac and see four ways that he prefigures Jesus in the Old Testament. The first way that Isaac, who was the son of Abraham who was circumcised on the eighth day. He's the covenant line through whom Israel comes and through Christ comes and the cross comes and redemption comes and on down the line eventually we'll all be in new heavens, new earth together. But Isaac pictures Christ and he, in that he was the long-awaited promised son. First, he was the long-awaited promised son. Think about this. God promised to Abraham to make of him a great nation. That his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And he made that promise to Abraham, or Abram at that point, and then Abraham. And Abram, and Abraham, he's walking through, struggling with doubt from time to time, God reassuring him, but He's, he's like 75 years old when that promise is made. And you'd think, we would think, okay, well, we got to get with this because things are stopping here. God's timetable is not ours. God is working it out kind of like He did the resurrection of Lazarus. It says that word came to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. And since He loved them, He waited two more days till He could, more days till He could die before He even got up and went that way. Because He loved Him, He waited because there's a greater story coming. Right? And God is waiting because there's a greater story. His story, His glory coming. He will keep His promises, but 
not very often on our timetable. We think He says it, so He'll do it now. And history proves He does it right on time, but His timetable is much longer usually than ours. Our suffering goes on longer than we would want it to sometimes, but He is always faithful and He always comes through. But Abraham had to wait from the promise to the fulfillment some twenty, at least 25 years. At least 25 years. Now think about that. That would be 1993. Some of you weren't even alive in 1993. You received a promise in 1993 that doesn't come to pass until 2018. Might you struggle and doubt on the way to the fulfillment of that promise and not think it was coming to pass? That happened in Abram's life. In chapter 12, you know, see the promise of great nation, great name, blessing to all the nations. 15, covenant. No, it'll be one of your seed, right? And it still ha- is not happening. And finally, they're worn out and God says, this time next year, you're going to have a son. I'm going to visit Sarah. And the response is laughter. Will an old man have a son? Will an old lady have a son? Maybe he means through Hagar and they make that mistake. Rushing ahead of God. But no. But he's finally born when they're old and worn out. But they had to wait at least 25 years for that to happen. So Isaac was the promised son, the long-awaited promised son, and certainly you can see how that pictures Jesus. Just from Abraham's life, Israel had to wait some 2,000 years for the long-awaited son to be born, the Messiah to be born. Now 2,000 years is something we can think about, but we can't really relate to. It's not a long time for God. He's working out His plan of redemption. He's doing it perfectly in history and He's working out His plan in your life perfectly. And there are going to be many times when you think God is behind. Why aren't you coming through? You know, your Word says you'll take care of me. But this is happening. I'm not understanding this. I'm going to sort of take my hand and put my hand in and make it, kind of try to make it happen the way I want it to happen. He's always faithful. Isaac is the promised son. And you see Isaac's birth coming through at just the right time. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next. And Jesus' birth coming through at just the right time. And Scripture even tells us that the promises made to Abraham way back were made to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ. Abrahamic promises made to Jesus primarily. Paul says that in Galatians 3.16. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring or your seed, which is Christ. And Galatians 4.4 tells us that He came. Jesus came at just the right time. He was not late. On God's timetable, it was exactly the moment that it was supposed to happen. The long-promised Son came to redeem His people. Well, look at the second way Isaac is like uh, Jesus. He had a miraculous birth. God was 
involved in that birth to produce a child when there should have been no child. It says this in Genesis 18, 10, and 11. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Abraham has given up at this point. God said, I will return to you this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Now, look at this. Advanced in years and the way of women had ceased with Sarah. That's a very kind way of saying it, isn't it? The way of women had ceased. The menstrual cycles have ceased. The ovulation has ceased. There are no eggs coming forth to become Isaacs. That's not happening anymore. The way of women had ceased and yet when you read on in chapter 21, what happens? Isaac is born. God took two people as good as dead, Scripture says. And He waited until they were as good as dead. So it's a bigger story and a more glorious story that God brought forth Isaac from them who were as good as dead. And He had given them promises and they had enough to hang on in hope and and to walk by faith, but it was hard and it was a long wait. But God, even though they laughed in unbelief, brought about His purpose and Isaac was born. And though many laughed in unbelief and mocked in unbelief and though some were looking forward to the Messiah and missed Jesus, God's Son was born miraculously. And in Luke 1.35 it says, The angel speaking to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will called Holy the Son of God. Jesus was born to a virgin who had never been with a man. She was truly a virgin. And God produced in her the, 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 the humanity of Christ. The human nature. The deity took on a human nature. A true human nature. Two natures. One person forever. But Jesus, the much greater birth than Isaac, the virgin birth. I mean, we sang about it. Come behold the wondrous mystery of the Christ, the Son of God, the virgin birth. Well, he, he was a long-awaited son. He had a miraculous birth, Isaac did. And Isaac was sacrificed. And in my notes, I put quotes around sacrifice because he wasn't actually killed, but in Abraham's heart. He was sacrificed. And he pictures Jesus who was sacrificed. But imagine that. All that waiting. All that longing. All that hoping. All that messing up. All of God's grace. And then suddenly the promised child has been born. And he's growing up and, you know, he's, he, he's the son of your heart. And then he's, I don't know, 18 to 20 years old, maybe late teens, something like that. And God says, sacrifice him. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham. And his faith came through. God tests us and we struggle, but our faith comes through if he's behind it. He said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. See, uh, Ishmael's been not through the covenant line, sent away, all of that. 
Take your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, the exact place where Christ would be crucified, the exact place where the temple would be on the Mount of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Take your son, your own, something God never intended for him to go through with, by the way, and we know that from reading scripture. But Abraham didn't know that. He had to work through that. He had to suffer with that. An amazing thing, go read the account. It says he rose early. Probably didn't sleep. <laughs> but he rose early and went to be obedient. Genesis 22. Go, go back and read the whole story. I'm just hitting the highlights here. But God commands Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And he obeys and takes Isaac and a couple of others and they go toward the land of Moriah and toward that, that place where he will be sacrificed. And they get there and they leave the servants behind and they're on the way. Isaac carried the wood of his sacrifice. You see Jesus in that? As far as he could anyway, carrying his cross. Isaac carried the wood. It says in Genesis 22.6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. So they both, So they went both of them together. He's carrying his wood that he, that will burn him up as far as he knows. As far as Abraham knows anyway. But Isaac carried his wood to the place of sacrifice. Jesus carried his cross to the place of sacrifice in exactly the same way. As far as he could until he fell under the weight of it. He submitted to his father at the time of death. He's not a five-year-old kid. He can carry all this wood. 18 to 20 probably. Young man. He submitted to his father at the time of death. Look at this. Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they went together, marching on. And when they arrived there, there's no lamb, at least seemingly. But God will provide for the Lamb. And Jesus, we know, Jesus also submitted to His Father in the garden, Your will be done. This cup can't pass from Me. Your will be done. And then Isaac was the Lamb for the sacrifice. Just as Isaac was to take the place of the Lamb, so Jesus became the Lamb, John says, John 1.29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament picturing the one true sacrifice. But Isaac submitted to that. I mean, he could probably have overpowered his father at this point. 
He's carrying the, you know, Abraham, oh, oh, oh. Genesis 22, 9. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. Look at this. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. The picture I put up with Isaac being a picture of Jesus. Abraham put his son on that altar and bound him and Isaac didn't resist and he's ready to slay him. And we'll see why in a minute. But thankfully God tells Abraham not to harm him. He's there. He's bound. He's on the altar. He's ready to be sacrificed. And Abraham lifts the knife and he's never been so thankful for a voice in his life that cried out to him and told him not to harm the young man. Because he was a picture. God would sacrifice His beloved Son who carried His own wood and submitted to His Father and really, really died on the cross. Just as Isaac was to play, take the place of the Lamb, Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Isaac was sacrificed in that Abraham intended to sacrifice him. God never intended him to do that. And God ever, you ever think God tells you to do this to one of your children? Go see somebody. Not happening. But Isaac was a picture of Jesus who really died. And then this tells, this tells us why. Fourth, Isaac was raised from the dead. And this tells us why Abraham was willing to go through with that. And he was willing to go through with it in faith. Because Isaac was raised, quote, raised from the dead. Jesus was really raised from the dead. Okay? But look at this in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. This tells us why Abraham in Genesis, why he was willing to sacrifice his son because he in faith had worked it out. In Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19 by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. says he offered him up. He had already... I mean, think of the agony of working through that and, and actually going there and doing that. It says he offered up Isaac... He and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son of whom it was said through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. This is what Abraham concluded in verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively he did receive him back. Abraham counted on God's promises and it's a, the covenant line was going through Isaac. So he says, God is asking me to do this. And the covenant line is going to come through Isaac. So he must be going to raise him from the dead. Therefore, I'm willing to do what God told me to do. Now, the man struggled and lied and had all sorts of trip ups in faith. But he's grown in grace. And that is a lot of faith right there. I wouldn't have that level of faith unless God did a real major work. Think about that. But it says in Hebrews, figuratively Isaac was raised from the dead. 
Because Abraham and his man has already sacrificed him. He's trusting God to raise him. God stops him because he's just picturing the Christ to come. God is in control. Remember the plan. And in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, He's foreshadowing what Jesus will achieve and who He will be. And so He's putting right there a picture of Christ. And after that, Abraham even says, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Looking forward. But He was raised back off of that altar without being harmed, but being a picture of the one who would be harmed. Jesus is the true and greater Son of Abraham who was sacrificed who died, who took the blow for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to God. Jesus was literally dead and was literally raised. Paul says this, he said, this is the most important thing I preach to you Corinthians and this is where you stand and by which the gospel by which you're saved. He said, this is what you need to remember. This is the most important point. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried. I'll read the rest in a minute. Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the fulfillment, the one predicted, the long-awaited Son who would come and be miraculously born and live a holy life, never deserving anything but blessing, took our sin upon Himself and paid the penalty for our sin. What is the penalty? Is it just physical death? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. No, it is physical death, but it's more than that. It's separation from God's grace and His mercy and His blessing. It is justice being poured out on us. One small word, hell. Wrath, do sin. God is holy and righteous and pure and too holy to even look approvingly on sin. And sin must be judged. And so Jesus, to save His people, to be the mediator of that covenant, had to take that judgment upon Himself and satisfy justice. Because God can't just wink at sin. He can't just sweep it under the rug. He's not like we are, especially when we're grandparents. Oh, it's okay. Your children's like, that's not the people that raised me. But sin had to be atoned for if we were to be saved. Jesus willingly took upon Himself not just torment physically and physical death, but wrath, hell, justice for His people. Now people don't like to talk like that these days, but if somebody's preaching to you and they won't talk to you about sin and hell, they don't love you. Go somewhere else. Jesus took the wrath of God. And since He was God and man, He could satisfy justice. If He'd just been man, He could represent, but He couldn't satisfy. If He's just God, He can't, he can't represent. Like nature as ours has to save us. So the God-man on the cross then could take the equivalent of eternal hell for all of His people on Himself on that cross and drink that cup dry and we'll never imagine the suffering Jesus went through for us. But being God and man, He took it and to the extent that before He died, it was, it was complete. He said, it is finished. Before He died and before He buried, He was buried. It is finished. 
it is done. And he gave up his spirit. So 1 Corinthians 13, 3 and 4. Jesus died for our sins. He took the wrath and the punishment due us. He did it in accord. Look at that little, little simple say, in accordance with the scriptures. What is that? The only Bible they had at that point was the Old Testament. In accordance with the scriptures, everything pictured and prophesied and, and typed and shadows and all of that in the Old Testament. It, it was predicted. And he was buried and look at this. He was raised on the third day as predicted in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus really lived. He really was born of a virgin. He really lived under His own law. He really fulfilled righteousness in thought, word, and deed. And then He really took our sin upon Himself and drank that cup dry, being buried and under the power of death for a time and then raised victorious the third day from the grave, proving that it's all true. Best attested fact in history if you don't use a double standard as the resurrection of Christ. And He is reigning now and giving salvation as a free gift to those who will receive it by faith. Trust Him for it. So Isaac pictured Christ in His being the long-awaited Son of promise, in His miraculous birth, in His being sacrificed, and in His being raised from the dead. And redemption was pictured by Isaac, but accomplished by Jesus, the true and greater Son who died for us. Raised for us and is reigning now. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not a Son of God? That He is God, the God-Man incarnate now, returning bodily. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? I'm not asking you whether you struggle sometimes with doubt, but I mean, push to the wall. Is that what you believe? Because there's no salvation without that faith. But God works that faith in through the preaching of the Gospel. If you don't believe it, or you're not sure you believe it, let's talk about it. Because Romans 11, 10, 9, speaking of the preaching of the Gospel, it says this, and I have to be quick, but it says... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we can all do that. And some of us fake it for a while just to please our parents or our spouse or, or somebody else. But if it doesn't come from the heart, it's not real. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means He is Lord. He's the only Savior. He is the Son of God who came in fulfillment of the, the promises and to keep the law and to die for His people and be raised from the grave. Now look at this. You, you not only say it with your lips, but you believe it in your heart. You believe it in your heart. So you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And for the Hebrew, the heart is the mind and everything in the center of man. As a man believes in his heart, so is he. It's not just this emotional thing that we think of it that way. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Isaac's figurative resurrection was a picture and a type of Jesus' literal resurrection from the dead. Jesus really defeated death, not just for himself, but for all who would trust in him. Do you believe that? Get serious with God about that. Stop playing church. He's not going to save you because you came to church or read your Bible or gave some money. Do you believe in Jesus? 
Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If God was to ask you when you die, what should I, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? If your answer is anything other than Christ and Him crucified and raised, it's the wrong answer. You can't be good enough long, at all. You can't give enough or pray long enough or read long enough. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. But in Romans 10, neither, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He's at work in you. Do you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead? I'm drilling that. I know some of us are tired and sleepy and smelling food. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the grave? If you don't, you're not saved. I love you enough to tell you that. You might not like me and never come back. But you'll find out it's true one day. Just own it now. God is building His house. And literally, that's our household together. We are being fitted together as stones, a new house, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem that will descend. Revelation 21. God is building His house according to His plan through the preaching of the Gospel. What is that? The good news that Jesus died for our sins and He was raised from the grave and He saves as a free gift those who trust in Him. Isaac is a beautiful picture of Jesus' birth, life, sacrifice, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit works powerfully through the preaching of this simple Gospel so that those who by grace have ears to hear Believe the truth about Jesus. Turn from sin to faith and trust in Christ alone. God will accept you if you will trust in His Son. In fact, if you trust in His Son, it means He's at work in you producing that faith. Are you trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone who was so well pictured by Isaac? Barely mentioned in Acts 7. We'll cover more next week and we'll, we'll get through chapter 7 faster than you think. But I couldn't pass Isaac and the opportunity to point out how he pictures Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that every person from the youngest child to the oldest adult in this room and those who will hear me on the internet as we post the sermon, I pray that every one of us, every one of them will be trusting in Your Son. Either have already trusted Him or will trust as a result of hearing this Gospel or from You watering the seeds planted down the road in their lives. But I pray for everyone in this room right now to truly be open and examine themselves to see, do I love and trust Jesus? Or do I love and trust myself? Has God convicted me of my sins so that I see I deserve judgment and that I have no hope in myself? Has God worked at me so that I, I, I go from loving sin to hating it and turning to God and wanting to be free of it and trusting in His only Son whom I really believe has raised from the dead for me because He died for me. Lord, give us faith to come to Christ this morning to cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. I'm trusting in You and, and in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, those of us who know You nurture the faith, grow it in, grow us in grace. Help us to be more faithful and loving toward You because of Your love for us and more active in being light and salt for Christ. 
Thank you for Isaac's life and how he pictures Christ. Thank you most of all for Christ who loved us, lived for us, died for us, was raised for us, is returning for us. And we have the hope of knowing that when He comes, we will be like Him. You will finish the work that You've begun in us so that we will be glorified like our Savior and live with You forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, have mercy on us to trust and love and live for Your Son. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.